or just this in general from Genesis something that maybe you're holding on to, helping you out in your faith, spiritually speaking? Yes. Yeah, so we talked Thank about, uh, I, I remember uh, we talked about the serpent and <coughs> flies. And I stress truth like a ton, and more than once. And so I just want to say that, um, you know, truth is, I mean, it's, I think it's definitely, what, you know, part of what God bases his relationships on. But I, I fail to stress the grace part, you know, Jesus is full of truth and grace. And so it's one without the other is kind of, you know, unbalanced. So, uh, yeah, so just wanted to say that, that I uh, didn't want to forget the grace part. Uh, I totally just didn't think anything about that last night. Amen. Amen. There we go. Yes, sir. I'll just say there's officially now no boring parts of the Bible. Amen. <laughs> wow. Because wow. I will not look at genealogies the same. Amen. It's been a great discussion. Great time. That's good. Who knew so much theology could be packed in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is that. We went um, doing the genealogy last week, uh-huh. and then today I was doing my quiet time on Matthew, and I was oh, going to the genealogy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. This is <laughs> right. I was like, okay, you want genealogy? There you go. There you go. Uh-huh. Uh, another one, though. Chock full of stuff in there, too. So. Yeah. Yeah, That's what it's all about right there. Are we up, bro? We good? Thanks, Alex, for doing that. Cool. So I guess we got the recording ready. And again, if you yeah, if you miss a week or if you want to go back, it's it's all there online. Um, so um, and forgive me if I'm a little scattered. I had to record that podcast like a few hours ago. You know what I'm saying? So I had like staff meeting podcast. Wow. So my you know I got a lot going on in my head. So thank you for your patience with. Suji told me he already heard it, so I was like, "Man, we just recorded it like literally a few hours ago." So, there it is. So it's already up. It's already up. So, um, shifting gears. So, um, so I know you guys were talking last week, and we're gonna we're gonna look in here and see see the heart of God. Let's let's start in, in Genesis six, and let's uh, someone read verses five through eight. Somebody read that, please. Five through eight. All right. Uh, this is the Amplified Classic Version. Um, that's unauthorized, brother. We're going to have to use another. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Five, five through eight. Uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and intention of all human thinking was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved at heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy, blot out, and wipe away mankind 
mankind whom I have created from the face of the ground, not only man, but the beast and the creeping things and the birds of the air. For it grieves me and makes me regretful that I have made them. But Noah found grace, favor in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know, just initial thoughts on that. Like, yeah. It just, to me, it just shows the realness of God's emotional impulse reaction to sin. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, he, he holds it back, but it's not like he doesn't have emotion, like, you know, he doesn't have an emotional response to, like, to sin. Yeah. And so God with an emotional response, does that help you in your faith? Is, is it a kind of a neutral thing? Or, you know, what does that do for you as you walk with God to know that he feels that way? Or is it described in these ways, you know? It, it does help me. Um, I think that if I thought that God didn't didn't care, you know, in a sense, or mm -hmm. that everything was just kind of uh, that's okay, like you know, type response. Yeah. I don't know if I would feel as maybe protected or mm -hmm. I, yeah. It's it's hard for me to kind of yeah. put into words how it would change the way I feel, but I I do feel that. Um, the justice in at least the emotional response, even though if I'm not going to judge and I don't know how it's going to work out in the end, but the fact that the the reaction is there, that yeah. like the heart is there, yeah, you know that he just doesn't just see sin and just be like, oh well, they did it, you know, it's okay. Amen. Amen. That helps me. Amen. Yeah. Yes. You know, uh, some of these verses talk about that. The verse six talks about. You know, God was sorry. Other versions say that he repented of having made man on earth. So he was like done. He was done with man. He's like, I'm gonna wipe him out. This is like divorce. This is it. See ya. He was. He was at his end. He repented. It's the only time the Bible talks about him repenting. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. God being described, you know, in these words, you know, it, it, it helps to just read those words. Grieved. He's sorrowful, uh, and I think it does help us to to get in a, a window in, into the heart of God, you know. And, and if you, I think it helps to remember, you know, it, we're reading piecemeal, whatever. But don't forget Genesis one. Don't don't forget all, I mean, all the chaos and the disorder, and all that God did to provide and to make it good. And, and I think th this moment, it, it, it does connect well, I think, with Genesis 1, because imagine if you did something and made something, or, and it was good, and then right. somebody just came in and just defiled it. Yeah. I mean, how do you not respond, you know? And uh, it, it would matter, you know? And so, yes, this isn't an, this, we do not live in an impersonal world. You know, this isn't the result of random atoms bursting into each other. And here we are. Right. This passage does not speak to that. There is there is there was intention in this creation. There was it wasn't just he just God just set up a corporation and just going to move on and set up another. 
Oh, he, he, he's invested mm-hmm. emotionally in, in, in this way. And I think the way it's <laughs> described here, giving God these kind of emotions to help us understand how he is, you know, uh, I think is very, you know, I don't know, I think it's powerful to think of a God so mighty, so powerful, but to feel so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, what can be hard, I think, we can look at passages like this and just, then we apply it to ourselves. <clears throat> oh, I've sinned. God maybe just wants me. He's sorry he made me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we think that <clears throat> God is Christ-like. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say Christ was like God, but to think of it the other way, too, God is like Christ, and there's nothing in God that's not Christ-like. Mm-hmm. And I think a real tip-off for me is it says that um, every inclination, mm-hmm. not most, not some, mm-hmm. every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a touch of evil here and there in their actions, but it went to the core of their being in every way. It was they really were no longer the image bearers of God. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And that is what elicited such a response. Yeah. Going along with that, I was also thinking a gut feeling I have of this is how patient God is. Because we don't, we're not told how long this is. Yeah, yeah. Between one and six. But going along with what Greg was just highlighting, every, all, just how evil it gotten, how long did God put up with them yep. before it got to that point? It's not like it got that way overnight. Exactly. Right? That's right. That was a long time. We may, yes. we may be only halfway there ourselves mm-hmm. since then. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? But it's, yeah. it took a lot of patience. A lot. To There's judge. actually a reference to that in First Peter 3. It said mm-hmm. God waited patiently as the ark was being built. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of mercy in that. I'm sorry yeah. I had to say that because you exactly what I was thinking patience. <laughs> yeah. God was very merciful in all these situations. Yes. Uh, it probably took a hundred years to build the ark. Yep. God waited a hundred years. Wow. It just that patience. I appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean Yeah, I'm sorry. Just the other thought I had is a God that's indifferent from this end is also indifferent from this end. In other words, if God's not able to feel so passionate about sin, he probably is not as passionate about us as we like him. It's that ability to be so incredibly wholehearted that we rely on. To me, the idea that God is passionately loves his people, that he would there's nothing he wouldn't do for us. And it shows it in the fact that when you've defied it, no, there's a point in time where there's a line here drawn. But that it, it just shows the heart of God, that he's not this kind of, sometimes people see God as this indifferent, kind of in the middle, looking from heaven down impersonally at the world. And I don't think it's that way. I think it is so incredibly personal. And, um, and it's just he loves his people. It's not, he's not indifferent to his people. Right. And he finds Noah, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, Walt. Yeah. No, man, I'm good. Okay. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so the word, what the word that keeps coming out to me is regretted. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know about you, but have you ever regretted doing something? 
um, and the, the, the emotions that, that bring sorrowful and shame, and not that God was shameful, but for me, I, was, I always feel, oh man, I wish I could just take back those words or, or um, take back what I did and do it again. And a do-over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then, um, but on the other hand, he regretted so much that he was gonna wipe every, you know, wipe out his children, right? Um, personally, I mean, my my kids have sinned, you know, and um, I I don't think I've ever regretted making them, you know. <laughs> I can't imagine how God is feeling about regretting making his kids. We all have kids. Have you ever regretted making them? No, of course not. You haven't. But how how bad was it that it would have been to the point that God said, uh, "Wish I'd never made you." I, I just I can't I can't think of doing that with my my kids. Mm -hmm. Saying, "I wish you were never here." <clears throat> oh my gosh! Right. No, I couldn't do it. Yep. Going even further to doing that and then having your son die for the people that you created. Mm -hmm. uh, no. <laughs> I, I don't know how he did. I, I'm glad I'm not God. Yeah, yeah right. No, that's well, that's yeah, right. very, very well said. And, <clears throat> and then, you know, and, and again, this, this, the way the the way the Bible reads, the the themes, the the way the way it's put together, and then you have this this utter just man, this it stinks, you know. But then you get that, eek! but you know, but Noah found favor, you know, in the sight of the Lord, and in in spite of all this, and you know, it just gives you hope too. Again, it's these moments where you despair, but you get hope. You know, it's the image of God is still. People are still bearing the, the image of God even in the midst of evil. Um, you know, even though sin's going to be ever present, that, that's that's going to be a part of the you know the world. You know, each life is still valuable to God, and uh, we're made in His image. And and the Cainite, think about Cain's seed. You know, the the, the genealogy of Cain. They're ruling, but it's self love, and it corrupts the whole world. But the Sethites, right? The people in, in his line. They're the ones walking with God, and they preserve the world. You know what I'm saying? And so, that's who are you, and who are you going to be? And I think these texts cry out. Who are you going to be? How are you going to pattern your life? Are you going to be in the Seth line, walking with God, right? Communing with God? Um, because when you have communion with God, when that is restored, then you have deliverance from death, right? And that's, what the, that's the theme that you keep seeing. This communion with God can deliver you, you know, even in the midst of evil and corruption. Uh, and, and even in the description, continually, all thoughts, evil. Um, but there's still those folks willing to, willing to live it out, you know. And, uh, and we're going to um, jump to, to verse 9, you know, and it says, um, These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so these, this is the first time in the, the scriptures that we get the word righteous and, and blameless. Um, and and the, the concept of righteous, I mean, again, there's a lot of, 
this, this literature has been around a long time, so people have written about it a lot, but there are a lot of different ways you can approach righteous, but think of it as maybe bringing about, you know, harmony and right relationship is one aspect of it. Um, but it finds its basis. Where do you find the basis for righteousness? It comes from God. You know, it's not, it, 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 it doesn't start with us. It, you, you get the basis in, in God and not us. When you are righteous, you serve in the interest of your neighbor. And you're even willing to disadvantage yourself to advantage someone else. And that's the concept of righteous. Uh, the, a willingness to disadvantage yourself to advantage someone else. And this concept of blameless has this connotation of wholeness, kind of this complete and wholeness. And it kind of gets at a wholeheartedness, too, like a wholehearted commitment, mm -hmm. you know. And so when you kind of blend these two words, or not blend, but you, you, when they're, it's presented here, these are two different words describing this one person, Noah. Um, you know, this, this willingness to disadvantage even himself to help others, to, to have harmony, to have right relationships with others, not based on how good he is. He gets it from somewhere else because he's walking with God. <laughs> That's where he gets it. It's, it. He gets it from walking with God. It doesn't generate, he doesn't generate it from within himself. And that's where the righteousness comes from. And, but, and he has a wholehearted commitment to that walking with God. He's not letting other things get in the way, like obviously the people around him. The whole society around him, the way the narrator gives it, they're not doing the things that are righteous. They're not disadvantaging themselves to help somebody else. They're out killing other people and boasting about it. You know, that's the type of world that they're living in. Wholly committed to righteousness. And bringing about God's purposes. That's the thing about righteousness. You're trying to bring God's purposes here on earth, right? That's that concept in the Old Testament even. Um, you have it. And so, <clears throat> so once again, we get this phrase, walking with God. Who does that remind you of? Probably first person, right? Enoch, right? I mean, there's other people that did, but Enoch, wow, you know, like, man. You know, and y'all talked about him last week. Uh, it was funny. I think who's it, Michelle? Somebody read it, and everybody was laughing because it does. It took him up, you know. It just took him up. It's like, Wow. <laughs> But again, Enoch is saved from death, and just like Noah, right, will be. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the things that we got to see, too, is, you know, Noah is being, you know, he is terror, probably being terrorized by the world around him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, how many people are going to live a, a life of righteousness and not be affected by those around them? Yeah. And especially when those around you don't want... Your very presence is an indictment on the way they're doing their life. Right. right? You know what I mean? You don't even have to say anything. You know, walking with God. If everybody else is just, just evil and the inclinations and they treat each other a certain way, if you're not doing that, it can get real hard. So I, I just think we, sometimes I don't know if we appreciate that as much about Noah uh, as the, the type of world that he had to live in. Um, you know, and in verse 11 it says the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And if you can't figure out that corrupt is a big word in there, you got problems, right? And so if you heard this in the original language, you'd be kind of hearing that, that repetition would help you to realize this ain't good. And then the word violence. That, the word violence in Hebrew, Hamas, is that, that's what that word is. That's what it means. Um, <laughs> this one definition, I was like, dang. Cold, the cold-blooded and unscrupulous infringement of the personal right of others. 
just, you know, like a cold-blooded. I mean, isn't that how the world kind of is? People just shooting each other for nothing, taking each other's lives for nothing. Just a cold-blooded, unscrupulous infringement of the personal right of others. Almost the exact opposite of righteousness. Where you're willing to disadvantage yourself to advantage others. That's God's way. That's what righteousness is. But this, this is what happens when the world gets corrupted. Then people start thinking this way. They're infringing upon others, and they're motivated by greed and hate, and they make use of physical violence and brutality. And uh, a favorite instrument of Hamas and violence is untruths, like just speaking false accusations and unjust judgments. That's how Hamas works. That's how violence, a part of violence. Um, so God's trying to bless humanity with the power of procreation. What a gift, right? He's trying to bless the world. Be fruitful and multiply. Amen. But what happens? It's filled with violence. And I think even in our country, we need to, we need to, I think we need to wake up a little bit more to what violence can do to our civilization. I think we can be desensitized to violence. You know, we can go to a movie sometimes and like, oh, turn your head because there's somebody naked or something. Uh, but then, you know, people mowing people down and we just sitting there eating, you know, eating popcorn and past the raisinets. You know what I mean? Like it ain't even nothing. And I don't know, man. I think we might have to. You know, violence is an affront to God. And maybe we're just kind of not as offended by it as I think. As I think God is. Um, and, you know, this part, it, it also talks about, this is interesting. I, I don't know if I believe this or not, but I thought it was interesting. Worth throwing out there for you. See if you believe it or not. But I don't know if it's an issue of believe it or not, but I just thought it was interesting. But verse 12, he said, he, you know, God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And w- when you hear all flesh, what do you think? All people. Yeah. You know? But the, the interesting thing is, you know, verse, like, somebody, chapter 6, verse 19. Somebody just read that one verse. 619. Somebody read that. You are to bring into the ark, that one, 619? 619. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive. You. All living creatures. That's the same wording as all flesh here. And if you go to if you go to chapter seven verse sixteen, if you go to chapter eight verse seventeen, if you go to chapter nine verse eleven, and through seventeen, this same phrase is used over over and over again. But it doesn't just mean people. It means even animals. So, some scholarship is saying that even somehow even the animals somehow transgress their place in the order of things that it had gotten so bad and sometimes in the bible you'll see people's lack of morality lack of righteousness can even affect kind of the ecology of the world and so some argue that that's how pervasive this hamas violence corruption was that it had even gotten into the all flesh, wow. even animals. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I can't defend. I, 
I'm just here to try to learn with you guys, you know. But but and then and then the interesting thing is what what might make me change my mind is chapter nine. Again, I don't know if this this is one of the guy's arguments. In chapter nine, verse one, it says, "God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you shall rest on every animal of the earth and on every bird of the air." And so it's almost like God had to. He even had to tweak the animal situation because before they were jacked up. You know, all flesh was messed up. So God had to do something, intervene. I don't know if this is true, but man, it's interesting. You know, Bible's a, got a lot of stuff in there. Um, but I do think that it's worth thinking about how when we're not image bearers, the, just the effect that it has on this world. Yeah. So as we're reading this chapter, I, my brain immediately goes to HR issues within work units. And I've, I've managed some large teams, and I've often walked into places that um, had a couple of bad eggs that were corrupting the entire unit, and would have to discipline them to send a message to the whole team so we could change the culture. And I've had instances where I've interviewed candidates to build a team, and you hate to say it, but you get attached to folks who you hire because you start to say, I see the great things that you can do and I, I believe that you're going to serve in a great way and we're going to be effective for X, Y, and Z. And when they, not that they don't meet the standard, but if they blatantly are breaking the rules and doing the exact opposite, mm -hmm. you start to grieve that decision. Mm -hmm. And then you say, you know what? I need to, I need to rebuild and I need to take these folks out so that the remnant that is left can mm -hmm. function at a high level. Yeah. And so that's where my brain was going to as we were, we were looking at yeah. this. And the, often the folks who have been high performers, they're the ones who you know have been righteous. They do the right thing even if they're not looking. Yeah. Right. They are mission driven, um, and so they're the folks that you want to elevate and you want to pour into. And you know you often say in performance reviews, I wish I had ten of you. Right. Mm -hmm. I could replicate you because mm -hmm. we could be so much more effective. And so I can see the grieving part. I can see the desire to want to clean the slate and then just rebuild through that remnant mm -hmm. and try to replicate. And I can also see when you talked about uh, the righteous um, in a lot of ways are a threat to those who are, who are being knuckleheaded, mm -hmm. just the truth. I have seen that play out where the people who have been doing the right thing have been persecuted and I've had to intervene and go, no, this person is doing the right thing and really protect them. Mm -hmm. um, in hopes that they don't leave because they're so, you know, all yeah. those wonderful things. But my brain goes to HR issues. <laughs> so you could just use the Bible in HR, bro. I mean, that just, <laughs> yeah. whip out the Bible at your job and say, guys, I'm going to figure this thing out right here. Use the word of God. <clears throat> um, and so, yeah, let's keep it, keep going. How much time? Okay. Somebody read verse uh, 13 and 14. All right. Oh, we're in six. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself, is it 14? Yeah. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Cool. Um, 
and and this is something I think Mick and I both brought up. I think I've kind of forgotten somewhat, but you know, I think we have to realize that there are multiple stories about floods and other uh, traditions. You know, Babylonian story about the flood, Mesopotamian multiple stories about floods. So, just so you know, uh, the hearers of these texts would have had a history of knowing about flood stories, and even the nations around the Israelites would have known they had their own flood stories or whatever. And so I think oftentimes it's really helpful for you to understand that and not to be thrown off or, well, what's up with that? And to realize that, I I agree, I kind of think, this is my belief, doesn't mean I'm right, but I believe that this is written in conversation with those, right? Making some very, there's differences, and so where there's a difference, it's almost like a, a, a trigger, like a ding, 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 you know, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, this story is different than the Mesopotamian one. Or the, and, you, and why, you know, why is it different, okay? And, uh, and, and, and just so you know, like in one of these stories, like the Babylonian flood account, um, the gods keep their decision secret from the people because they want to spring it on them, all right? That's the... That's what they're going to do. They're going to wipe the people out because the people are being too noisy. Or it's, e- it's either overpopulation or they're too noisy. And so they're going to get rid of the people. And so they, but they keep it a secret. But here, what does verse 13 say? He tells them what he's doing. He tells them what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So he confides. Mm-hmm. He confides in them. That's a huge difference. <laughs> And if you were well-versed in these stories, you'd be like, wow, this God, this God is different. Wow, he's, he's got a relationship with, you know, I mean, you might, you might, it might make you, uh, you know, have all these other questions. But I think it's so helpful to, you know, realize that God takes Noah in his confidence. Um, and, uh, you know, once again, we get this word destroy, right? You know, the violence and destroy. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, it's it's moral transgressions. You know, threatening, threatening civilization, and uh, you know, through its corruption and its violence, society sets in motion the process of inevitable, inevitable self-destruction. And that I think people need to speak, and I think that's where the church needs to speak speak prophetically to our current world, and not be afraid to call stuff out. Not based on your own thinking, but based on God's righteousness. Amen. Who's who's willing to speak prophetically to this world, based on the Bible, and not just you and your opinions and your favorite, you know, political party, but speak, you know, into the into this crazy world, so we can avoid this type of you know destruction, right? And uh, and then not only does he you know confide in Noah, but what does he tell him to do? Verse 14, building up what in the world, right? That wasn't, that's not, the ark is God's idea, not humanity's, right? You know, and I think we got to remember that, you know, God is in control of creation and in this new recreation of what he's going to do. Another interesting thing is when you, we're not going to read all the little, do this, do that, create it. But notice, you'll notice if you read it that there are no, there's no rudder on the ark. Right? What did you say? Can't steer. You can't steer. Right? So when you, you know, no navigational aids and all that. All right? Huh? It was digital. And the 
the, the Mesopotamian, one of the Mesopotamian flood stories, okay, just so you know, the hero of the story, their equivalent of Noah, he has to employ a boatman to navigate for him. Again, you just, if you know that story, but here, so what does that mean? You got to trust God. Not some other dude and how good of a boatman he is, you know, a seafaring person. No rudder, no, ain't no captains, no. Again, so, you know, these are just things to ponder. Who is this God? What's the nature of this God? You know, and even if, you know, you, you want to believe these floods that happened before, I'm great. I love it if God's like, oh, I already know these flood stories. I'm going to do a flood. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to clarify what's going down. You know, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to show who I really am in distinction, you know, to these other stories. And um, in the another part, just so you know, um, and this one's Babylonian tradition, um, you know, verse 17, um, you know, of chapter six, you know, for my part, I'm going to bring a flood of waters on the earth or flood waters, depending on your translation, you know, to destroy from uh, under heaven, all flesh, which is the breath of life. Everything that is on earth shall die. In the Babylonian tradition, the flood, their, their flood, one of their flood stories, the flood got out of control. And the gods, they, the, the quote in their language is coward like dogs. So, I'm, what do you think? So, if you're contrasting, what do you see in that contrast? Wait, can I ask a question? Yeah. Power. These these stories um, <clears throat> these stories created as explanations for the flood, or like where where do these stories come from? How do they relate to this? These are other ancient Near Eastern cultures mm-hmm. that had their own civilization. They had their own, you know, because obviously the Hebrews, right, the Israelites. They have their own texts and they have their own stories, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there were other nations too mm-hmm. that had their story. So, but, so I'm just. But it was—is it their version of the same? No, it's blood? their. These are their stories emanating from their cultures with their language, their imagery, their that tell their, tell stories that make sense to them and how they okay. came to be, so to speak. Because this story is like, if I was a Jew, I would be reading this story as a fact. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like Mesopotamians and the Babylonians, these their stories probably not a fact. They're just telling each other these stories. I'm trying to see if they were trying to make it their own explanation for the historical. And I'm not. And again, I'm not an. I am not an expert on ancient Near East cultures or whatever. I do have a book at home, and I haven't read it yet. <laughs> maybe it, maybe in the summer when I'm done with these classes. But I wouldn't say that they didn't think they were true. I wouldn't necessarily say that or okay. not. I wouldn't necessarily say that or not. I can't. I can't speak to that. Uh, they totally could have believed that. You know that. Hey, these are true. That's their gods. You know, just like. Uh, well, no. They, I would say they did believe it's true. Just like in the New Testament, when uh, you know they go, was it Paul and who they go, and they think they're Zeus or whatever. You know, th- those are the Greek gods, right? And they thought that the disciples were like their gods. They thought they were real. You know, like Apollos and Aphrodite and Hermes, all these people. They think they're real, right? So, um, so again, the, there's cult. There's cultures all around. You know that. Israel it didn't just come out of in a vacuum, and they just didn't, you know. There's, God had to drive out other nations. Well, those other nations had faith in, in their own gods and all that. And so, these stories that the Hebrews have that give, you know, knowledge to their faith formation, were 
in competition, if you whatever you want to say, just like we are today. Mm-hmm. I mean, aren't there other? There's a lot of stuff out there today. You can worship a lot of stuff even yeah. today out there. People believe it in you know various ways. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did you have your hand? I'm just uh, the other flood stories. Did they happen before this? Mm-hmm. And so they they predated this. Predated. Ah, yeah. Okay. The, 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 those stories predated, right? And so the the, the what we have again. If you're if you're a Hebrew person, you're trying to, you've heard these stories, right? This is the account of Yahweh, right? This is the account of Yahweh. He's not like those other stories. He's not, and how? But how is he not like? And that's where you're supposed to hunker down and figure out. Okay, well, what, what what's what is different? You know, um, have you studied some of this stuff too, Mick? Anything you want to throw in there? Just like, yeah, that no one was running around with a tape recorder, but you know, video yeah. recorder. These things weren't being recorded in real time. Yeah. So you asked um, what the differences were. I yeah. Really think um, the other stories that said the floods got out of control. Mm-hmm. That means their gods did not have control over. God had control over the, the flood of Noah's day, mm-hmm. and somebody. Somebody said power and control slash power. Yes, that's what sets God apart from the other gods. Is that He's in complete control. He knew exactly what He was doing. He He knew what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen. These other gods out of control. I don't know. I whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I think. That you know, you asked a, a little bit earlier the walking with thing. Uh huh. You know, who you see, he Noah walked with God, and then we think of Enoch. But I thought of Adam and, and Eve because in the very beginning, that was God's whole intention. Yeah, it was just to have just to walk with him in the cool of the day, mm-hmm. like just to have his children be with him in a relationship. It's like, you know, if you have children, you just want. Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, when you're all together, you know, you just you just crave that, you know. Yeah. And so it's like he just keeps finding like the person that he can that he can walk with, and then figure out a way to create a new covenant and keep them safe. And you know, okay, well, how can I how can I get it back to like that Thanksgiving, Christmas Day, and Eden where we just be together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at you setting up the next thing because you said the word covenant. Right. Okay, so we had the word we had the word righteous, and we had the word blameless that had never been. That, those are the first occurrences, uh, and we're about to see covenant for the first time. 
Right. And did you have something you were itching to say? I'm sorry. Yeah. You I gave did. you gave me the double the double yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't know I didn't know if our friendship depended on this or. Thought you were This is a place where deconstruction is safe, right? Yeah. Absolutely not. I have not meant a word I've said. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I know for myself in the last couple of years, one of the thoughts that has come up for me and I've heard it referred to is, and what, what's taken me down this road is that when we think about, okay, what, what actually happened? What, what are the facts? And I think we have to be careful with what are the facts because... I don't think the writing of the Bible <clears throat> is like we think of a reporter reporting the actual facts on everything. Mm -hmm. And a quote that I heard, which I really like, is that all facts um, are true, but not all truth is facts. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think that's important, not just here with this, like we, if we get caught up in trying to prove, you know, did the Babylonian flood, well, that, that wasn't fact, but the way that it is in the Bible, that was fact. You know, you eventually get to the Gospels, and it'll talk about there being two blind men in the same story in one of the Gospels, and another one will say one. Then you're caught up in this, what was it? Was it one? Was it two? And you miss the point of what is the author trying to teach about God? It's something more important than the reporting of just facts. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of truth in what you're saying. I totally, you know. And these are the things that it's so helpful to have the space to process, you know. And some people are, are listening going, I've never thought about this. Oh, my gosh, you know. And, um, and, but, but it's, guys, it's healthy. It's good. People have been pondering these texts for thousands of years. It can take your questions. It, this text can Give yourself time in it and think about these things. And there's so many great resources out there that you can plug into and learn a lot about. But ultimately, hopefully, you can learn more about who God is and his nature. You know, and that's what these are. And I'm going to try to knock this part out. Okay, verse 18, and it says, um, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Again, this is the first time the word covenant is used. Obviously, a very theological word, very important word. Um, and really, you know, God is obligating himself in this relationship, okay? He's obligating himself uh, to Noah and to really his family um, that I'm going to preserve you through this flood that's coming. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm obligating myself to you. But what is the other, the, the flip side is <laughs> Noah has a role too. Right. Noah has a role to play. Right. So Noah, on his part, he's got to build the ark to preserve life. And then he's got to enter into it. So God's obligating himself. All right. There's going to be a flood and, I'll and I'm going to preserve you. Uh, and Noah's got to be like, OK, well, my end of it, I got to build this thing and then I got to actually get in it and trust that you're going to. And so and so we've read this before and there's absolutely no drama to us. But again, if, imagine if you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Like if you just showed up at this part of the movie, like, dang, this guy is, wow. So this guy picked this one guy, thinks he's, thinks he's got like faith and righteousness and all that. 
And who is this God? I mean, wow, what kind of God is this God, right? And, and so there's this tension between these covenant partners. And the issue is, can they count on the other person? Yeah. Yeah. And that is the tension that is within this, this moment. But since we already know the story, you almost have to suspend yourself and just like let it be what it is and let the story unfold, you know, so to speak. You know, can, can God count on Noah? You know, God authors the covenant, but it can't work unless Noah comes through. It can't work unless Noah is faithful and loyal. And if Noah does not build the ark and enter into it, I keep saying that because, you know, not, not only will Noah and all life, all flesh will perish, but so will God's purpose to rule the earth through Adam and his promise to crush the serpent through the woman's seed. That was the promise. That's right. I'm going to go through your seed. Your, your lineage. And we've been seeing the genealogies, all that. The genealogies at stake right here. And, and, and if you were in this culture, you would appreciate the, the, the drama of this, this moment where God is making this covenant. The future of salvation history rides on Noah's faithfulness. That's right. Can God count on Noah? On the other hand, can Noah count on God? Because what if the Lord doesn't even send the flood? So that means that Noah, at the ripe age of whatever, 600, had to cut down a bunch of trees with his three sons. And who knows if it was a personal expense. Where, I mean, the, the, the narrator doesn't give you all these facts. They call it called blanks. These are blanks. So you don't know all these facts, but that's a lot of work, right? 100 years worth of work or whatever, right? So Noah would have wasted all these years of his life and his three sons, and he would have been the biggest idiot ever known to his culture. Like, what? That guy Noah was an idiot, right? Um, and if God does send the flood, what if God actually does send the flood, will God come through and actually preserve Noah and his family? So will God come through for Noah? I got an observation. You know? Yeah. Uh, Noah, both, well, you guys already noted that it's all about walking with him and everything and how he walked with different people. But um, just like the similarity between him and Noah, uh, Noah and Abraham. Um, well, I lost my point. <laughs> there we go. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> That happens to me all the time. I was just going to say, in a pedal, yeah, yeah, related to this, I was going to say too that in the story, no one doesn't say anything. We don't. There's no dialogue. He just did as God commanded. But in, in Hebrews 11, it said, in holy fear, he built the ark. So he must have been afraid of things around him going on, and afraid of what was going to happen. Obviously, it took about a hundred years. In 2 Peter 2, it says he is a preacher of righteousness. No one. Mm -hmm. We don't see any of that here. Right. Yeah. But that's what it says. So he must have been talking to his friends and neighbors. He must have been doing stuff to call him a preacher of righteousness and a guy living in a holy fear. Why would he do this? Why would he build the ark? It's going to take 100 years and everybody's going to ridicule him because it's out in the desert somewhere. You know, like, what's going to happen now when this flood's going to come? We're all going to be, well, let's see, you're building in a desert. Oh, what do you mean? Anyway. I just think there's some deeper things about Noah that we can see right. in, in addition to the fact that he walked with God, some of the things we did. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I buy the fact that he was a preacher of righteousness. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm really, I'm glad you, uh, you made that point about the ark not having a rudder. There was no way to, to direct yourself through this process. And as you were saying that, I was looking at what the ark did have. And he had three decks. He had a door and a window. Even and I think about that from a faith perspective. It's like you're about to enter into the season, right, of that you've never seen before. This is no, right? It's going to be troubling. It's going to be a lot going on. Yeah. And all I want you to do is get in, get out, and watch. Right. And wow. It's just so powerful for my faith. You wow. know what I mean? Yeah. Just, yeah. just watch, watch what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. This is not about what you're going to do. It's about what I'm going to do. Yep. The window to watch me work. Right. Wow. That is so encouraging. I'm so glad you. I never looked and saw he has no rudder. Yeah. He just has a view. Ooh, yep. Awesome. You know, and 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 even like has what has been said, it's like you don't even hear what Noah's saying. And he's like, and in verse 22, Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. Um, and again, and again, the Mesopotamian, one of their flood stories. It's pretty much focused on all what the, their, their Noah does. So we don't even, it doesn't even say how long, how, how he went about it, nothing. You don't, you don't hear a word out of Noah's mouth, nothing. But in the Mesopotamian story, the focus is on the Noah character, like on all the stuff he's doing. And so once again, you're, you're left with, Wow. It's about it's about God more than God is. It's more important what God is doing. God is covenanting. God, God, God. Right, and um, you know, and so I think that it's way more focused on God's activity and Noah's obedience. Right, and similar to what Pedal is saying, you know, that that concept. It, it, those are the focal points, and um, so you know, and it, verse chapter seven. You know, the Lord told him to get in the ark. You know, and um, the rain's coming. I'm trying to get through because I know y'all are probably ready to go to bed. Um, the only other point I was going to, you know, make was, you know, Noah, Noah and animals, right? Again, this is like Adam, similar to Adam, right? Adam got to name the animals. Noah gets to preserve the animals. So there's, there's some more context there. Um, and then in uh, 711, it's just so interesting that out of nowhere, the, the narrator starts giving you exact days. Like, where's that? Like, wow. You know, now, now all of a sudden you're like, you know, at 3.30 on Thursday the 7th, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, then the, 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 then the waters, the great deep burst forth. And this even reminds us of that chaotic beginning, you know, where the waters are bursting and all of that stuff. Um, so, again, God's promised that the waters will come. Oh, now they're coming. Uh, so, in verse 15, they go into the ark. And, um, and the last thing that we're going to get, we get in verse 16. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord That's shut right. him in. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and in the Mesopotamian stories, it's the people that close the doors themselves. Mm-hmm. When God is the one that shuts them in, salvation is by God's hand. That's right. God is the one that's going to do this. God is the one that's going to keep them safe. God is the one that's going to come through uh, and be the covenant 
keeper. I know there's a couple more comments that want to be made. So boom and boom and boom. Okay, I think he might have found something. But so yeah, maybe that's the, maybe that's the last three, and we we'll rock it up. Yeah. So as you were talking about this, I'm remembering one place I worked that was AI. <laughs> no, but I, the, the high performer, her name is Jacqueline. I, I told her we had four sites, and I told her I'm going to send you to this site, and I need you to just put your head down and work. And there's going to be a lot of ruckus. I need you to just focus. I promise you in the end, things are gonna be better. And it was an underperforming site. So she sat, she just focused, create chaos, people getting fired, people getting replaced. That site going from the absolute worst to the absolute best in the region. And what my conversation with her, no one else knew that she was feeling all the pain. So during our one-on-one, she was talking about the disobedience that was going on around her. And so my conversation with her about go to this place was, I was trying to protect her. I need you to just go here, sit down, and just wait things out. And when I look at the ark and the conversation that God was having with Noah, it is, I'm gonna protect you. And so mm -hmm. I'm gonna put you in this place. Mm -hmm. Things are gonna happen, and I need you to ride it out, mm -hmm. and great things are gonna happen through you. And so I see an intimacy, mm -hmm. um, you know, an intimate conversation to reassure him, and yeah. to let him know, I see what's happening. I believe in you and I want to protect you. And for me, that's really encouraging mm -hmm. because God would have known what was going on in his head. Yeah. He would have been hearing the prayers. He would have been hearing his distress. And I believe that conversation was an intimate conversation that I want to protect you. Mm -hmm. So that's what I see. Yeah. See Thank you. Yeah. Now. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. And then Dante, and then I guess we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I love that you talked about covenant and it being this idea of like, is this person gonna hold the end of the back bargain and God going to, like we, we know the story that God kept the end of it. And I think it challenged me because I think a lot of times it's like, I'm, I'm amazed that God doesn't wanna do it without us. I think that's, I'll always be amazed by that. I'm like, God, you can save that person on your own. Like mm -hmm. I don't have to be a part of that, but God is like, no, I want you to be a part of it. So yeah. I think the idea that throughout the, the biblical narrative, God is like, no, I want, partners and mm -hmm. you an imperfect human being you get to partner with us but I think it can be tempting on the other side to be like we're partners but God you're more powerful than I am so you do what you do instead of being like no and actually building the ark because that mm -hmm. takes a lot of work Yeah. because mm -hmm. as a partner I have to do some work too right mm -hmm. and I think that um, it's so easy to be like well how, how long should I pray about this God's going to do what he's going to do anyway Instead of being like, the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. Yeah. So my prayers do matter in changing the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to believe that. I'm like, what's my one little prayer? What's my little act of kindness? What's my little generosity? Right. But mm -hmm. God believes that mm -hmm. if I partner with him and I pray and I serve and I love, something can happen. Yeah. Like he's making a covenant with me. So that's just kind of like the shift in continuing to do it because I'm partnered with God, and he's always going to keep the end of the bargain, but he wants me to be a part of it. It's yeah. kind of incredible. Yeah, that's how that's crazy right. how God chooses to do it that way. That's right. Uh, yep. Um, it came back. There it is. <laughs> it's, uh, it was stated better than I could by the sister over there and by yourself as well, just uh, hoping about it's God's righteousness, it's God's deal. And what was I, I was going to say, i just going to put a little different twin twist on it. And some, somebody else that I heard, it's not my own idea, uh, another preacher um, talking about when God's name is at stake, he's going to make sure that it's going to get done. 
So if there's a contract, then no matter how that other person performs, good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, if he's got a contract, he's going to fulfill if his reputation's on the line. If he's going to look bad, if he's going to look like, oh, God couldn't finish what he started, no, he's going to finish it. He's going to complete it. And so he's going to bring about whatever salvation or righteous thing he's, he's already planned. Amen. Sweet. So, yeah, another chapter, you know, one hour in the Bible. Um, there's a lot, so much in there. Next week, we got to fix this air conditioner, you know what I'm saying? What's going on? Although it's fall, so you think you don't need it, you know what I'm saying? But I don't know. Sorry if it's too hot. What are you going to do? But uh, stay in the Word of God, and uh, we'll see you Sunday. Amen. There you go. Thanks.